Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Auto Buyer's Guide Podcast. Tim is on vacation this week, so uh, with me is Brian in the studio. Brian, what did we just get back from driving? We just got back from driving the, dare I say, sexy new Toyota Prius. Ooh, I yeah. think we might, dare, actually. I agree. I think it is really good looking. It's definitely the stylish choice now. Now, we've in our video, we kind of mentioned this, but there aren't really too many low-cost dedicated hybrids left. Really, its main competitor is the Kia Niro, which also for the second generation got a pretty style forward update. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they're very close in a lot of specs, but one has all wheel drive, one doesn't. One has more headroom for the second row, one doesn't. It's kind of a, what do you need more? And for me, I just like the style of the Prius a lot. They really did it. They honestly mm -hmm. went over and beyond what people were expecting. Um, we saw it earlier in the year under wraps. I was shocked and having driven it now, seen it and gotten, you know, getting getting behind the wheel of it and all that, it really did impress, I think, both of us and pretty much everybody else. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how it sells. Uh, you know, the Prius was the green th answer to everybody's dreams before, to the, the green movement streams, I guess you should say at least. Um, and then that was replaced really by plug-in hybrids for a hot second and then full EVs really now, the Model 3, the Model Y, and every other EV that's currently out there. So it is interesting that, that this segment has started to shrink. We don't have the Honda Insight anymore. It last existed as basically an electric Civic or an electrified Civic, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Hyundai Ioniq has left now because Hyundai says that even though they're still dedicated to hybrids and plug-in hybrids, and obviously EVs as well, that lineup just didn't fit with Hyundai's new direction. So they just said, we're just going to jam a hybrid under everything, and they're going to look like regular cars that happen to be hybrids or plug-in hybrids. Or if you want something different, that's going to be an Ionic with a number after it, and that's going to be their full EV line. So it is weird that we've gone from a number of options. The Chevy Bolt you know, disappeared quite some time ago. Uh, one might argue that the Clarity kind of was also in this mix. And now we just have these two. And they're pretty different. Yeah, and I like both of them in their own separate ways. I will say, you know, Toyota talked to all of us. They said we really wanted to lower the age of interested buyers. We wanted to get some conquest buyers who were <laughs> younger. And I do think the new design will help with that because before now, even I was just like, there's no way you're going to see me driving that car. Like, it's just Ooh, so not. have you been conquested then? I mean, I've been con I think I've been conquested because I mean, now that I'm oh, by the way, I'm reporting to you live from Detroit, Michigan for the first time. So now that I'm up here in the, uh, you know, the very not snowy yet, but eventually we'll get severe weather, I'm sure, um, you know, all wheel drive might be on my consideration list for a car or probably just better tires, you know, all seasons and all that. But if people want all wheel drive, the Prius has that, the Nero does not. Mm -hmm. So that's something you can, you know, use as a way to decide between the two. And the fact that it does makes it more appealing for me too, because you do get two extra horsepower, but you you know, the, having that extra torque back there is kind of fun. You can feel it a little bit. So. I don't it's know. definitely way faster than any Prius has been before. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll start calling you uh, live reporting from almost Canada. That's fine with me. I can see it from across the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so so you actually like unlike Sarah Palin, you can actually see another country from your house. Yeah, so there actually you go. Can. Yeah, I can probably actually can. They're building a bridge that has a pedestrian walkway on it. I don't know when it's going to open, but they're one day I'll be able to walk over there. Uh, so now that begs the question, which is better, Prius or Nero? 
And I admit being really conflicted. I thought I would lean heavily Prius until we got in it. I love the way it drove. It it does accelerate really nicely. Mm-hmm. Handling is a little bit below what I had expected because the tires shrank, which surprised yeah. me as well. Um, fuel economy is obviously excellent. It's nearly 60 miles per gallon on the EPA for the base trim. The rest of them, they're sort of mid to lower 50s, still very, very good. But the cargo area shrank by nearly 40% and rear headroom dropped significantly. So at this point, the Nero has three inches more rear headroom and about 15% more cargo room. And that was not the case in the past. Right. And full full disclosure, if you are, five, I would say 5'10", so the average height of the adult U.S. male, um, you'll probably be fine in the back seat because when I was back there, I still had one to two inches left above my mm-hmm. head, even with the panoramic moonroof. Um, but if you're any taller than that, and you, of course, experience this, you are going to have to be like that back there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so for our viewers something. that are not watching our video stream, you you basically have to turn your head to the side. Uh, and that's not mm-hmm. the most comfortable thing. Um, no. Leaning forward didn't really help too much because of the way the ceiling is shaped in there as well. Mm-hmm. So if you have taller friends or taller children, this could be a problem. And the legroom, even though it hasn't shrunk like we've seen in other Toyota products, it's not as generous in comparison as it used to be. When the Prius first came out, especially the second generation Prius, the one that was what we think of as Prius in America, the one that was really successful, Mm -hmm. it really straddled this line between Corolla and Camry. It was almost Camry sized inside with a cargo area that was practically RAV4 sized with that big hatchback. And the outside footprint was more Corolla sized. But in this generation, it is very solidly sexy Corolla. So exterior dimensions, interior dimensions, very, very Corolla. But you get way more power than the Corolla hybrid, a little bit better fuel economy and the practicality of a hatch. Exactly. And for some people, that might be enough to spend the extra money because as we discovered, there's really no comparable configuration of Corolla that goes higher in price than the comparable. Yeah, so run us through that briefly because there's not a lot of, there's actually, there's no overlap. All right, so the base Prius, which is an LE grade, that's going to start at $27,450. Then if you go all the way up to a limited grade, there's going to be an XLE in between. But if you want the fully loaded one, the limited trim is $34,465. All-wheel drive is available on all those trim levels for $1,400. So if you want an all-wheel drive limited trim, that's going to top out right around $35,36. So much more than the top-of-the-line Corolla hybrid. Yep, which was really interesting. I think they did a good job. And I I was curious why you couldn't get all-wheel drive on the XLE Corolla hybrid. Apparently, this is why. They wanted to make sure Corolla stopped and then Prius started. But there is a surprising amount of price overlap with Camry because the Camry hybrid starts uh, right around $29,000, just under something like that. Gets you 52 miles per gallon, a little bit more power, and a much bigger vehicle. So Toyota is uh, is really chock full of hybrids, and that is making some of these decisions a little bit more intriguing. Previously, if you wanted the hybrid, you bought the Prius. Um, If you wanted something else, you had to get something that wasn't a hybrid. But Mm -hmm. now, with everything being a hybrid, the Prius has lost some of that, that magic in a way. Yeah, and the other thing to consider is the new Corolla Cross Hybrid that's coming, which will mm-hmm. probably drive early next year. Mm-hmm. That's going to have the same, if I'm not mistaken, the exact same powertrain, but it'll be exclusively yeah. all-wheel drive. A um, little bit less that, power in that one, as I okay, recall, right? A little right? less power, I think. But, but still all-wheel drive and more headroom in the back for sure. Um, it's not as roomy, as you've said, as the Nero, but that doesn't get all-wheel drive. Exactly. Um, 
So. And I was really sad about that Nero not getting all-wheel drive. The American people said they pushed super, super duper hard. And I guess the engineers back in Korea said, well, that's weird. You know, no one here cares about all-wheel drive. No one in Europe cares about all-wheel drive. You Americans are crazy. So <laughs> that's why we didn't get all-wheel drive in the Nero. Um, also less power in the Nero. It's significantly mm-hmm. less powerful now than the, the Prius. So it's kind of a weird comparison because the, the Nero with top-end trims handles better, looks more like a pregnant Volkswagen Golf, and uh, this is this sleek and sexy wedgie thing. Yeah, and I haven't driven the Nero yet, but so it sounds like for you it is the more dynamic one. Yeah, it depends on what you think about when it comes to dynamics. I mean, obviously it's still sure. front-wheel drive. There's no extra power helping you out on the rear. But the tires are definitely wider. So neutral handling in a winding mountain situation, the Nero is going to feel better. Uh, it, we actually have the plug-in hybrid in for testing right now, thankfully. Um, so it's, it's such a tricky one. Pricing is also pretty tricky. The Nero is very reasonably priced with a longer standard warranty than we find in the Prius starting. But the top-end trim, if you add all of the bells and whistles, is actually a little bit more expensive, and you still don't have all-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see which one does better this time. Yeah, and sales, that was what I was curious about too, and this this shocked me. Let me know if this shocks you too. I looked up sales last year. Nero and Prius were almost neck and neck. Really? Okay. Yeah. And now with Ionic gone, I wonder if that's going to pick up anything. True, because uh, well, doesn't really have a direct replacement for that. So yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, they don't, which is interesting. They, uh, I mean, there's the Elantra hybrid. It's not exactly the same thing, but it is adjacent. I mean, one would logically mm-hmm. say Corolla hybrids, Elantra Hybrid's competitor, but certainly nothing that is in this this same vein other than Ionic 6, which is full EV. And if you don't have the ability to charge, then that's not really an option. Yeah, well, I guess speaking of electrified vehicles, this is a little bit of a stretch, but still something interesting. Today, uh, the Corvette E-Ray leaked mm-hmm. online. Some uh, very fanatic GM fan- yeah. Big GM fanatics were on there. They were co- uh, configuring the current Corvette. Apparently, the 2024 model year accidentally got posted on there. <laughs> it included the E-Ray, which is the... They have confirmed it already. We know it's happening, but they actually had the E-Ray on there, um, which is going to be the hybridized, not the full electric yeah. version. So yep. it will yep. be, still be powered by a V8 most likely powering just the rear wheels and then an electric motor up front. Uh, and the actual graphics of the car are a little interesting. They're obviously very early, um, but this was an interesting slip up because, you know, we hadn't heard anything about this car yeah. in a while. We just know it's going to be coming out next year now because the configurator said summer mm-hmm. 2023. And it looks like it's not going to be a plug-in hybrid as some people had sort of hoped. It is just going to be a regular hybrid. So uh, I will just take a quick divergence to say, uh, if you're looking at this shirt here, you know, there's new merch on the merch store. Uh, it's got all the various charge plugs around the world. So, uh, you know, uh, if you're interested in this sort of merch at all, you will find those at the AOAMerch.com store. And uh, if you are a Facebook fan, there is a discount code that is valid through the end of December. So uh, go see us on Facebook. Go find the discount code. Go shop for merch. There's other merch uh, if you don't want to charge. So anyway, back into the uh, the Corvette, though. Not only is it going to be uh, E-Raid, which is seemingly a stupid name to me somehow, uh, but also it's going to become a Corvette family of things. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of new information that is kind of trickling out of GM. It's not exactly rumor, but it's not exactly official yet. But some of the GM people are talking about it here and there, and they're saying, yeah, we're... 
this might be happening. And not only is the Corvette going to become its own sub-brand, but possibly the Camaro and the Cadillac Escalade might get their own sub-brands. Yeah, and at that point, Escalade. I'm, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's like, ooh, I don't know if we should be going that far into it. Because in my like for me in my lifetime, the notable car brands that have done this are Land Rover with the Range Rover lineup. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's Range Rover, the Range Rover Sport, then a tiny Evoque, then the Velar, and maybe some others in the future. That's a big example. But then more recently, of course, Ford with Mustang Lockheed becoming a Mustang family member, and then mm-hmm. Bronco and Bronco Sport. With those two, Bronco and Bronco Sport made more sense because the Bronco Sport is just a smaller yeah. version. And Wagoneer. Don't forget Wagoneer. And Wagoneer. And Wagoneer, which is, that one is also a weird one, though, because the next iteration will be the electric, basically the electric Grand Cherokee, which, you know, they're doing a competition <laughs> right now to have the public decide what they're going to call that Wagoneer. And currently the code name is Wagoneer S. And I thought, you know, let me sit down and try to do this. And I was like, actually, I don't know what you could call it with the Wagoneer having to be in that name. It just, there's nothing yeah. that really works with it. I'm so. going to be curious to see how that is framed because it's not going to be electric Grand Cherokee. It's going to be a body on frame electric STLA frame thing. So, uh, gonna be big. You did. Now, <laughs> I mean, when I say Grand Cherokee, I guess I just mean like the shape and the general look of it. Because based on that concept, it looks kind of like a Grand Cherokee, just much more premium. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, I'm gonna go for Jeepy McJeep face. I think that's what they should call it. Hmm? And if you don't know that reference, Lil Wagoneer, Lil. Yeah. If you if you don't know the Jeepy McJeep face reference, just Google Bodie McBoat face and then have fun down that Wikipedia rabbit hole for a while. Yeah. But with, with the Corvette and the Camaro and the, the Escalade, though, I mean, at least for the Camaro, that means the Camaro is not going away because that was a rumor mm-hmm. up until this came out. So I wouldn't be surprised somehow, though, if Camaro turned into an electric Mach-E competitor because mm-hmm. Mach-E is the best-selling Mustang. Camaro and Mustang have always competed with one another. Logically, that would mean if Chevy really wants to compete with Mustang, they've got to have a four-door electric crossover right. called a Mustang. Yeah. But part of, the, um, part of the Ford, but there's another rumor that says that Ford is going to add, when the 2026 redesign of the Mach-E comes out, they will add a two-door coupe to the electric portfolio of the Mustang mm-hmm. name. So That if would they make a lot of that, sense. Yeah, that, that would make, make sense, sense to me. Because, mm-hmm. of course, there's going to be the whatever it is that Chrysler's calling their thing. Yeah. Barracuda? Uh, Do we remember? Charger? Challenger? Barracuda. Oh, the Charger Daytona, but the Charger Daytona. That's it. Mm-hmm. But we don't know um, if that's what the production name will be. But right, that's what I'm, you know, we'll see. Um, but they're going to have their electric thing, so that does sort of make sense. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't become a major trend because there are certain models out there that I feel like they just need to stay their own thing. Like I wouldn't want to see Toyota do this with like a Forerunner. I, I don't know. There are certain names that I'm kind of like maybe don't but they probably eventually will at this point. Yeah, I mean, they could have Forerunner, Forerunner Sport, Grand Forerunner. Yeah. They could Grand have, uh, yeah, Grand Forerunner could be could be the Land Rover, repl- uh, the, the Land Cruiser replacement. Oh, and I guess they are kind of already doing it with Grand Highlander. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. And they've already kind of done it with Land Cruiser because there's a Land Cruiser and there's Land Cruiser Prado in other world markets. So sure. go figure. Yeah. Shifting gears to the uh, the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander, mm. uh, I just got through driving the Outlander plug-in hybrid. Uh, what do you think of the look? I've actually been a fan of it since it came out because the concept that it was based on looked pretty cool. And when they when they were testing it at first, the just the regular gas model, I was like, oh, it's going to look pretty close to that concept. And it turns out it did. And I think it's it's unique for sure. And I don't 
have a, I don't really have a problem with it. I think it looks pretty cool, and you cannot tell at all that it's related to the Rogue until you sit inside, um, which is where it's basically copy and paste, except for the steering wheel, I would say, I guess, is the only real... Yeah, I think the, yeah, the exterior is enough. The side is pretty close to the Rogue, but the front and rear definitely different enough. But mm-hmm. um, as a Zillennial, can you see yourself driving a Mitsubishi, or does that mean nothing to you? Um, it, it meant something when they had dealerships and cars for sale when I was younger. And I remember <laughs> my parents car shopping and I was actually stopping at a Mitsubishi dealership. But wow, what uh, were they looking for? Ooh, uh, at the time that would have, well, it would have been something, uh, they had the XL seven at one point oh. that was a three row, little three row mm-hmm. thing they had. And then that might've been a consideration at one time. And I honestly don't remember what would have been before that. But the XL seven was a Suzuki, wasn't it? Oh, I'm thinking it was. Oh, see? <laughs> yeah, that was a Suzuki. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Well, then Mitsubishi-wise, I don't even... I don't know, because... See, I always get Suzuki, Isuzu, and Mitsubishi from that time period all mish- mishmashed together. Um, so maybe, I don't know. Maybe they weren't actually stopping at Mitsubishi. Uh, yeah, the, well, I, the XL, I had forgotten about the XL7 because that was the General Motors uh, era mm-hmm. uh, for Suzuki. So it was related to the Saturn View and the Chevy Equinox. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, then Mitsubishi-wise, oh, I honestly don't even know what the last like actual SUV before the Outlander was. Uh, yeah, because you're too young to remember the Evo days. I mean, they had the Lancer Evolution, the 10th ten, generation or whatever. Well, I don't know if that was 10th generation, but the X, that last one they made. Mm-hmm. And that was up and through my high school years. But okay. um, yeah, that's that was, that was sort oh, of yeah. the end. Everything was sort of dying yeah. on the vine at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, so the interesting thing is uh, they're 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 33% owned by Nissan, so there's some coordination. But I'm I'm curious to see what the rest of their product development ends up being like because the rumor mill, at any rate, in uh, Japanese auto circles, is that now that Carlos Ghosn is gone, gone, gone from Mitsubishi and the Renault Alliance that uh, he was kind of the glue that helped really push some of these cooperative projects together. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what that means for Mitsu, because it's not exactly like they can just grab a Nissan Frontier and jam a Mitsubishi logo on it, call it a whatever. Um, So we aren't, the things are really unclear about exactly what's next. This plug-in hybrid system from uh, Mitsubishi, for instance, is not the Nissan one that has mm-hmm. been promised for a long time, the, the e-power system. Um, it is thematically not far off in terms of its theory of operation, um, but it's not that generation. So I wonder if there's some efficiency lost as a result. Uh, the Outlander gets 38 miles of EV range, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. But then after that's exhausted, 28 miles per gallon. How does that strike you? Well, uh, what is a... Sorry, 26, 26 miles per gallon. Did I say 28? What, what is a... What does a three-cylinder turbocharged Rogue get combined? Uh, let's see here. Obviously, uh, edit this one out here. Of course. <laughs> uh, I believe it's higher than that. Oh, yeah, way higher. Yeah, so the three-cylinder Rogue for 2023 gets 33 miles per gallon front-wheel drive, 31 miles per gallon all-wheel drive. So you're mm-hmm. giving up five miles per gallon uh, to get the plug-in hybrid. It is more powerful, though. It is pretty zippy. Um, 248 horsepower, 330-some-odd pound-feet of torque, 0 to 60, probably a little under seven seconds. So it's decently faster than the three-cylinder Rogue. 
But if you can't charge it all the time every day, then it may actually be getting you worse fuel economy than the CVT Rogue or obviously the Mitsubishi Outlander. The regular one. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, also the price is a consideration because it's not rogue priced. Obviously, it's what no. a high forty thousand dollar car starting, thirty-nine or something. Thirty-nine, like that. just under forty thousand. Mm-hmm. So for a plug-in hybrid though, this is pretty good. So yeah. it does come in less than a RAV4 Prime. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more than Sportage or Tucson. But Tucson's not sold in all states. And not only is the Outlander plug-in hybrid going to be sold in all 50 states, they said that every single dealer in North America will have a demo model for you to see and drive, which is not what we see with the Tucson. So if you like the Tucson and you like the Santa Fe and I know you live in Florida, just you can like them from afar because they're not going to be sold there at least anytime soon. Uh, good luck finding the RAV4 Prime because it's unobtainium. You just can't buy one for love nor money. Uh, And if you can find one, it's definitely the money that you're going to be paying the dealer because the dealer markups are pretty high. Sportage is somewhere in between. Its availability is a little bit better because it's sold in more states. Theoretically, all 50 states uh, have dealers that will order them for you, but you may not be able to test drive one prior to ordering. You may have to go in blind if you live in some of those states. So Mitsubishi has a distinct advantage there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also, the teeny tiny third row, it's $10,000 less than a three-row Sorento plug-in hybrid. So in fact, you could get the fully loaded one for the price of a base Sorento PHEV. Yeah, and it's probably not that much bigger of a third row because I know the third row in the Outlander is not big. (laughs) The third row in the Sorento is notably larger. Um, it's, It's definitely larger, definitely more comfortable, but there's also another weird twist, which is in the Sorento, you lose the second row bench for the plug-in hybrid. So it only seats six. Um... So even if you don't plan on using the third row, that actually may be a little bit more convenient for the Outlander because you could put three people across the middle and have all the headroom you need, which yeah. you cannot do in a sport in the Sorento. Uh, also, child seats, if you have child seats and you want them in the middle because it's easier to turn around and access the kid through the middle there, can't do that in the Sorento plug-in hybrid. Well, I guess my question for you then would be, which one of the two do you think looks better? I don't love the Sorrento's look. I think the Santa Fe is, the, a, a, attractiveness-wise, the Santa Fe is where I would go, actually, in this segment. Um, apparently, my my personal preferences mean nothing because even Hyundai decided that they needed to do an emergency redesign on the Santa Fe. So yeah. uh, apparently, it's going very trucky, this next generation, very Land Rover, very boxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the current one, they were definitely going for a very elegant, refined, uh, flowing design that apparently hasn't hit with the market. But on the other hand, uh, Sorrento, uh, sorry, Santa Fe plug-in hybrid is pretty inexpensive comparatively if you live in an area where it's sold. So mm. decent number of options all of a sudden. We went from none to a whole ton, and then all of the other alternatives to the Mitsubishi will give you better fuel economy, significantly better fuel economy. Most of them, except for the Toyota, though, will give you less electric range and, of course, less time in EV mode because the uh, the Mitsubishi, one interesting thing is it basically stays in EV mode uh, zero, to, 0 to 82 miles an hour approximately. It has a heat pump for heating the cabin, uh, so it's pretty efficient on that front if you live in a colder area. It has a symmetrical all-wheel drive capability. And then if you start pushing it harder, it actually has a rear power bias. The motor at the back is a bit more powerful. So it'll try and balance the motors under a lot of driving situations. But if you start driving it aggressively, you can actually get the tail end to swing out a little bit, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's that that hybrid efficiency is a little bit low, 
but the yeah. interior is really done really done well yeah i really like the interior it looks like they you know if you're going to copy or if you're going to like borrow your parents interior uh the rogue is a decent place to start this generation mm -hmm. so yeah, and I'm yeah. reminded that I like this interior better than what we see in the CRV, and the CRV is three years newer now. Yeah, I actually yeah. think that this this interior has aged extremely well. All the Outlander yeah. plug-in hybrids are going to get the full LCD instrument cluster. The yeah. infotainment system could be a bit bigger. It's only nine inches, but that's not too bad. Um, and there are some CRVs. attractive colors. <laughs> We're the same. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's pretty similar to what we see in the Rogue. It's slight variation mm -hmm. in software theme, but very, very similar. Uh, very comfortable seats. They borrowed basically the zero gravity seat designs from Nissan, but you get massaging seats in the oh. top end trim of the Outlander plug-in hybrid, four-way lumbar for both the driver and front passenger, lots of soft touch materials, and you can get your interior in uh, the sort of charcoal color, a mm. very light gray color, which is attractive, or you can do the sort of baseball glove brown yeah, leather that we also see in, in the Nissans. That's probably where yeah. I would go too. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, I guess speaking of you know, brands that are smaller and maybe trying to do plug-in hybrids. Mazda, we know, of course, is mm -hmm. betting on a new platform with rear-wheel drive intentions. Of course, all their crossovers here on out are all-wheel drive, um, but we know the upcoming CX-70 and 90 will potentially have the plug-in hybrid system that was introduced on the CX-60 overseas. So that CX-70 that we're getting will probably be a competitor to this model, the mm -hmm. Outlander plug-in when it comes out. We don't know yet, just sometime next year. Yeah. Um, I'm so really intrigued to see how that gets priced yeah. um, because Mazda says they want to go up market. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering, based on the looks and the design, et cetera, if this actually might be more Volvo priced than Mitsubishi right. priced. I mean, we don't know. But the 240 horsepower plug-in hybrid CX-60, which is two row, right, Brian? Correct. But I, yep. I'm seeing that it's a 323 horsepower plug-in hybrid. Oh, three, okay. Yes, yeah, sorry. I got that backwards. Kilowatts versus horsepower. Yeah, so 320 ah. something horsepower, uh, 241 mm -hmm. kilowatts. It's 45,000 pounds in the UK. The six, seven seat plug in hybrid. Interesting twist. The Sorento gets seven seats in Europe, only six in America for the plug in. Uh, yep. But the seven seat plug in two row is 56,000 pounds. Hmm. So pricing might actually be uh, a little closer to some of the more mainstream competition. Obviously, this is an unscientific thing because, you know, lots of factors change pricing when things come over the pond. But mm -hmm. I am definitely intrigued by their pricing direction. Yeah. And of course, the CX-70 will probably cost more in general just because it'll be bigger. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Indeed. we don't know. We won't know until we know. But the first model that we're going to find out about is the CX-90. We don't know if that's going to have a plug-in hybrid powertrain here. We just know for a fact it will, of course, have the turbo inline six cylinder engines, which will be pretty interesting to see how that how those handle because we haven't seen Mazda do something like mm -hmm. that in a while, if ever. Um, yeah, so. it looks like in Europe, the CX-60 is more expensive than a plug-in hybrid Tucson or Sportage would be. So that kind of gives you some relative yeah. positioning there. So I'm guessing it's going to be in that next category up price tag wise. Well, it's interior will definitely reflect that. And I'm sure the premium you know, aspirations they have will pay off because mm -hmm. if anything else they've come out with in the last three years is yeah. any indication, this should be pretty, pretty nice. So Yeah. It is interesting in Europe, for instance, that CX-60, <clears throat> and I'm going to get my names all confused here, mm -hmm. is very close in price to the exact same letters in different order from Volvo. The XC-60 mm -hmm. is 47,000 oh, pounds starting. 
And in Europe, the XC, CX60, CX60 corollary <laughs> that starts at 45,000 pounds. There we go. Spat that out right. So um, interesting there. You can get the the CX60 a little bit less in England um, as a two-wheel drive model with the less powerful diesel engine, but the corollary in that market to the base XC60s shockingly similarly priced. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, before we sign off, we should talk about that last bit of news you were interested in today, Brian. Yeah, and it's still Mazda related. Um, they just put out a video, promotional video, just talking about future products and such. And it included a glimpse of a little two-door sports car that many are presuming is previewing the next uh, MX-5 Miata. Uh, now, in the concept or in the video, the concept is a hard top two-door. Of course, that yeah. could probably be translated to a Roadster at any time. But the main takeaway is that Mazda is, at least based on rumors, considering how they could electrify the next mm-hmm. MX-5, which of course presents a lot of challenges for them because the Miata is a tiny, lightweight little car. Yeah. Uh, adding batteries, adding all that extra engineering will definitely drive up the price. You know, if they wanted to use alternative uh, materials to help drive down the weight, that's going to cost more. So it's like, what are they going to mm-hmm. do to make the, the Miata formula stick around, but also make it modern and electrified? Yeah. I don't know. I'm intrigued. I, I would assume like a tiny plug-in hybrid could be interesting, like a range extender yeah. thing with like the R, the uh, the Wankel engine that they keep talking about. Um, the if R-E-V that ever turns up. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I yeah, I'm it. intrigued. I'm also intrigued to see if Mazda can really make a go of that since they're such a small company and they're really focused on bringing their new SUVs to market, which are actually going to sell in volume for them that, uh, you know, there's this this uh, dedication at Mazda to their their Miata, their MX-5 over the decades. But, um, you know, it's, it's death has been rumored so often in the past. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But it sounds like we have four plus years to find out. So they've got time to figure it out. And technology is going to evolve in spades mm-hmm. by then so we'll see we'll see what happens but uh um alex i know where to find us on the internet but can you tell our viewers yeah so you can find us on youtube.com slash alex and autos there's ev buyer's guide there's of course the podcast channel if you're watching this on on uh, youtube you can find us over on your favorite podcast app and vice versa of course you can also find the website alexandautos.com which is getting a complete redesign uh, that should be happening in first quarter of next year so be sure and stay tuned for that one and of course you can find our merch like this shirt right here that i am still constantly plugging uh because uh, i am very happy with my design uh you can find that on the aoa merch.com merch site see everybody later sign off